1: It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame and you got the,
0: and there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question
2: right there.
1: If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll that always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you are probably cost around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler
2: James and Eric Hansen.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together we cover Notre Dame football for N.D. Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Pot of Gold podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast and tire rack, the way tire buying should be. Notre Dame made easy work of Navy with the 52-20 victory on Saturday. And next up is Saturday's senior day against Boston College in the final home game of the season for Notre Dame. This week on the podcast, we're joined by someone who will be playing a special role on the TV broadcast of Saturday's game, and that's Jessica Smatana, a 2016 Notre Dame grad and producer for Sports Illustrated, and she will be a part of the alternate Notre Dame fan feed of the game on NBC Sports Network. Jessica, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Jessica, I wanted to first start off talking about your role this this weekend on the alternate feed. I, I understand you were in town this past weekend rehearsing um, for what will be the real deal this weekend. Um, what what can Notre Dame fans expect uh, from you and from the from the alternate feed that you guys are going to pr- pr- be providing?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. So basically, the the feed is going to be the NBC broadcast footage with Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris's uh, radio call over it. Um, and I, I think, you know, a lot of people like to listen to the radio call over, you know, whatever sporting event they're watching. I know my dad does. It's a definitely like a dad <laughs> thing to do. Sure. So I think it's, it's great for people who already like to do that. It's kind of just just syncing up their audio with the game. And then there's going to be some special like in studio conversations and breakdowns and then some like sideline reporting that is a little bit different than what you get on NBC. So I think it'll be a really cool show.
1: Now, I, I know your presence in terms of the Notre Dame fandom has been growing. Uh, you, you have a very popular Twitter account. Um, you've worked for ESPN and Sports Illustrated. How, how did you end up getting involved with, with this aspect with with NBC Sports?
2: Yeah, um, a Notre Dame executive producer of live events for Fighting Irish Media reached out to me a few months ago and asked if it was something I'd be interested in, um, and since I have you know, some experience talking about Notre Dame football (laughs) on various podcasts and, you know, with some of the reporting I've done for Sports Illustrated, um, thought it would be a, you know, cool opportunity.
0: Jessica, do you have any sense if this is maybe a test for future telecasts that would be like this, or maybe is this a one-time only thing?
2: Um, that's a really good question. I do not have a sense for that at all, but, um, you know, obviously, I think there's probably a reason that they're trying it out, and there's probably a reason that they're doing it, you know, for the last game of the season. Maybe that's something that they want to, you know, test run and kind of spend the offseason thinking about, but I unfortunately do not. I am not privy to those conversations.
0: <laughs> well, I wondered if you are privy to this conversation. Can you confirm or deny you will be on SkyCam
1: during your discussions?
2: <laughs> I wish I was riding the Skycam, although it would probably be a little <laughs> cold up there.
1: <laughs> uh, Jessica, getting more into your background, I, I know, I, I, like I mentioned, you uh, worked for SB Nation. I know you did some blogging for One Foot Down, the SB Nation site that covers Notre Dame. When did you kind of feel like people started, I don't know, maybe listening to you and recognize you as, as sort of a voice? Um, I, I know a lot, sometimes a lot of your coverage uh, was maybe more jokingly and, and more uh, <laughs> lighthearted than others. But when did that sort of feel like a real thing that, okay, people are actually listening to me and kind of paying attention to what i have to say?
2: That's a great question. Um, I started doing the blogs for One Foot Down just because they asked me to and I didn't really have any reason not to. Um, <laughs> and they were very like flexible with you know, you know, respectful of my other responsibilities at SB Nation, um, in my actual job there. So, um, it was kind of fun, and I, you know, had a really good time writing, you know, just kind, of, like you said, kind of like lighthearted game recaps. And I would say maybe after the 2017 uh, Notre Dame Georgia game was when it started seeming like people were actually reading them because I had a ton of Georgia fans who for some reason really liked my post, even though I was like kind of poking fun at them. (laughs) Um, But a lot of them started following me on Twitter and were sharing my story and like talking about how much they enjoyed it. Um, So I thought that was kind of, you know, kind of a funny moment. And then from there, it seems like more and more people started reading the posts and, you know, reacting to my tweets about Notre Dame football. So now it's kind of like become my thing. And it makes sense because it's like, the only thing that I really, in I mean, not the only thing, but one of the <laughs> things in sports that I really know the most. So um, yeah, it kind of came naturally, I would say.
0: Jessica, was this what you went to Notre Dame to do? Did you envision this kind of post Notre Dame life?
2: That's a gr- great question. Um No, I don't <laughs> think so. But I have enjoyed it. And I think that a lot of Notre Dame fans kind of crave a less serious and more, you know, a a different kind of perspective than a lot of the negativity that's out there on the Notre Dame message boards and, you know, and some of the coverage of Notre Dame. Um, And that's what I've found has really resonated with people the most, is that people kind of like, you know, a meme about, about Brian Kelly as opposed to just constant, like, rating of Brian Kelly, <laughs> um, and his, you know, face on the sidelines. So I don't know. That's definitely not what my career aspirations were, but that's totally okay.
1: Yeah. I, I just guys, I see that you're, you're, you're pretty involved with the Notre Dame Twitter community. And I think there's obviously different pockets of that, but I think I see a lot of the different sort of bloggers uh, around that cover Notre Dame and I, I've been in contact with a lot of them. So that was kind of how you maybe came across my radar. What was was that something you were involved with as a student, or did that something that came to your um, knowledge? Like after all, like what what everything was going on, and how everyone kind of kept involved with with the Notre Dame football program and and the fans around it uh, after after your, your uh, college career.
2: Yeah, I really had no interactions with Notre Dame Twitter or any of the Notre Dame messaging boards before. I started working at SB nation. I didn't even know what ND nation was, which is a great thing. I would say <laughs> um, yes. I had, I didn't know any of the Notre Dame blogs. I didn't start reading any of them till I started writing my own short little game write-ups really. Um, and I don't really know why other than I wasn't on Twitter a ton as a college student. I kind of stayed away from it. Uh, also probably a good thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just, just staying away from all of the Notre Dame negativity while I still had friends on the team. Um, But, yeah, I think uh, that all, I kind of was integrated into that community after college, and it's been mostly a really positive thing. There's a lot of really fun and nice and, like, very friendly Notre Dame fans out on the internet.
0: Jessica, have you had many interactions with Brian Kelly himself?
2: I do not think I've had a single interaction with Brian Kelly. I cannot remember, even as a student working for the athletic department, I do not think we ever met face-to-face
0: and then what is your impression from of him from a distance i guess and from your experience with with your friends that you know from the team
2: yeah i i really don't i've it kind of just depends who you ask a lot of people say that he you know is focused on running the team and he doesn't you know I don't know that's a really hard question like he's really involved in his job and that's kind of the only side of him that they see a lot of people think he's kind of like gotten really goofy in the last few years not in like a bad way but in like a you know him doing the BK homeboy thing like he's gotten more fun and down to earth like I don't it really just kind of depends who you ask and I don't have a ton of like personal experience talking to him but you know maybe maybe one day.
1: You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby's. Before we hear more from Jessica Smetana, let's take a short break. Jessica, I was doing some of my research last night uh, of stuff I didn't know about you yet, and I, I believe you went to Clemson at, as a freshman before I ended up transferring to Notre Dame, and, and I understand you were a lifelong Notre Dame fan, so how did you make that mistake? And uh, <laughs> you, and that was the 2012 year, so I imagine that was probably... Do you have any regrets not being on campus for the 2012 season?
2: I did until the national championship, and then I felt a lot better. <laughs> um but I can't call going to Clemson a mistake because in the last four years I've been able to take like partial credit for the national championships that they've (laughs) won. Not really taking credit, but like I've been able to enjoy them. Like I really enjoyed watching them beat Alabama 44 to 16 this year. Um, So even though I was only there for a year, I still have a ton of friends who went there and who go back for games every year who I'm really close with. Um, So I think it really like is a Kind of nice thing to have two universities that can, I can kind of call home and like two college football teams to root for, especially when one is very good <laughs> yeah. and does not kind of do the like. Yeah, you know, like I guess I guess Clemsoning was happening, and now Notre Dame is Clemsoning. Is that fair? I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, maybe
0: it schools... hasn't really been a term yet. But maybe you started <laughs> I, it. I I do think that Notre Dame has Notre Clemson.
1: Daming
2: <laughs> I guess yeah. I guess like uh, Clemsoning. I don't know. Clemson doesn't Clemson anymore. So Notre, maybe Notre Dame is Clemsoning. We haven't, like, no one's talked about Clemsoning in a while.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe you transferred those powers over to Notre Dame as, as the <laughs> Clemson to Notre Dame transfer.
2: Actually, that is really, don't put that on me. That's really <laughs> bad. That's really bad juju.
0: <laughs> Jessica, having been a student there at Notre Dame and been around some of the football players, Brian Kelly has gotten into this thing about, uh, a, I don't I don't want to say ignoring the noise but managing the noise. He felt like around the Mich before and after the Michigan game the team was having trouble with that. Do you have a sense of what a player's life is like after a game like Michigan?
2: Yeah, I think that it's really hard for a lot of the players to go back to class and like I think some of them might even feel like you know, not embarrassed but just like bad about it, and so, like, it's hard enough being on campus, and this is just what I could, like, perceive and not anything that any football players have told me, but, you know, it's it's hard going to class and seeing, you know, one of your classmates there, and you know they just dropped 30 points to Michigan or whatever, and you feel bad, and you kind of like the elephant in the room, right? Like, in the, everyone is in their 18 to 22 range. It's not like these are professionals who don't have to go and face their classmates after a tough loss. But um, I just think it would be really hard to, you know, walk around campus and go to the dining hall and just have, have to be seen all the time. After that, you kind of want to just like bury your head in, in the sand or like get back to work. And instead you have to like go to class and talk to people who might not be the most rational about athletics. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it would just be really hard. And I, think that especially with like online internet culture and you know people just being totally inappropriate and targeting student athletes for their performances it would probably add an even harder layer to that do
0: do you get a sense from either talking to people or seeing it yourself that the athletes are actually confronted by people that people come up hey what what the heck happened or you know in in the places that you mentioned in class and dining halls walking across campus or is it more just kind of them feeling the eyes looking at them
2: it's probably more of feeling the eyes but i wouldn't be surprised if people you know maybe not students because i do think students are smart enough to like not do that i think that's something that a lot of like adults on the internet do and not a ton of classmates would do um but i think the eyes is even after you know even when the teams in the off season people just stare at football players walking across campus Mm -hmm. like you know they're huge guys they stick out you know everyone knows who they are it's notre dame it's a small campus there's only you know 80 of them and everyone knows who they are so there's always eyes on them and I think you know after a tough game or even after a big win there's even more attention now
1: I know I know you mentioned uh that you weren't really on Twitter when you were a student and and that was probably when you were closest to some of the guys that were on the team but have you ever gotten any flack since graduating of of maybe some things that you've tweeted about the program or uh jokes that you've made from any any of those those people that you're that you're friends with that, that are connected to the program
2: that's a really great question. I try to avoid like mentioning people who I know personally on the internet just because I think it's not very like journalismy if that makes sense. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's probably just not like it just isn't uh, fair to talk about people if I have a like personal relationship with them sure. um, unless it's something positive. So that hasn't happened. I think that I probably don't even really make too many negative comments unless it's about play calling or that kind of thing. Um, because after all, like those are the people getting paid to make the decisions. And if a player screws up, that's, you know, they're, they're like an unpaid student athlete. Like you can't really go after, I don't think going after them on Twitter is really like the best use of time. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't really gotten any pushback from anything from any players, which is probably a good thing.
1: Okay. Now switching over to this season, what what? How can you describe what the experience of watching this Notre Dame season has been for you?
2: A, a roller coaster. Um, I was at the Georgia game, and before the game, I was talking to a bunch of Notre Dame fans who thought that the, it was going to just be a total uh, blowout against Notre Dame, and Georgia was going to score, you know, fifty points, and then it wasn't, and so people were happy, and then there was all of this discussion about like there's no moral victories in football, blah 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 but it kind of felt like one anyways, right? Like it felt like Notre Dame kind of escaped with some integrity despite losing the game. And then of course, you know, things looked good for a couple weeks and they played Michigan and all of that went out the window. And now I think Notre Dame is kind of being like, no one is really paying too much attention to Notre Dame. Um, Even though this team could end up winning 10 games and potentially playing a New New Year's six bowl game or like one of the higher tier bowl games. Um, so it's kind of been weird. Like I've had moments of like really like great feelings like last weekend during the Navy game, you know, beating a ranked team by multiple possessions and just completely dominating them, I think is something that got overlooked because there were a lot of other games on Saturday. Um, but, you know, it's hard to kind of balance those feelings of disappointment because like if they had just won that Michigan game, they might even have a chance at the playoff. Um but they didn't. And so that's a huge if. And so it's been really hard to kind of like negotiate those feelings. I think,
0: Jessica, I want to ask you a journalism question. (laughs) Uh, And that is we, I've asked this to a lot of our podcast guests and I I think your, your perspective would be really interesting. Do you think in the next five years, Notre Dame can slash will win a national championship? Do you think it's possible?
2: That's a great question. Are Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban still coaching or have they retired or moved to the NFL?
0: Saban is out. Dabo is in.
2: Okay. That's uh it's a it's a hard question. I I would err on the side of saying no, because I just don't know if Notre Dame can put it all together. Like it's for the next however many years while that cotton bowl is still kind of in the back of people's heads, it's going to be hard for Notre Dame to make the playoff without being undefeated. People want them to play in that conference championship game and they're just not going to do it. And the schedules coming up like next season, Clemson, Ohio state, Wisconsin are in the next couple of years. Notre Dame's playing some really tough teams um, and they're going to have to win a lot of pretty good games to even be considered for the playoff. So I would probably say no in, in five years um I could maybe see them making it to another playoff in five years, um but I don't know about winning the whole thing,
1: so when Clemson comes to Notre Dame next year do you are you going to have to play a host for a bunch of Clemson fans coming up to to, to the game
2: Yes, yes definitely
1: what uh, What are your kind of hopes for what Notre Dame could potentially do in a bowl game this year or who they would play It doesn't seem like they're going to necessarily get a a marquee name to play against or and even the New Year's six seems like a very slim possibility at this point, so if they play in the camping world against someone like an Iowa state is do you think that Notre dame fans are going to be pleased with the outcome even if it's a win in, in a situation like that
2: i i don't know not if it's iowa state if they play like a, a texas or something i think it it would be I, I don't know it it's it's really hard to say i think people generally won't be happy unless the team you know is in a new york six bowl game if they're not in the playoff but People's expectations, I think, are a little bit too high for what this team has been this year. Um, I know, like, you know, last weekend aside, there have been some close games and, you know, some pretty ugly losses, at least one ugly loss. So, I, I don't – personally, I think beating some a team like a Texas or like a – you know, I don't know. I can't think of another team that Notre Dame would play in the Camping World Bowl off the top of my head. But I think that that would be – a decent outcome for the season. I don't think I would be, like, you know, jumping up and down with excitement over it, um, but that's just me.
0: Jessica, I want to circle back to the role that you're going to have this Saturday, and and I don't know if this is all kind of off the cuff. You might not know either. <laughs> all off the cuff stuff that you would be talking about during uh, the breaks in the action, or you have a certain agenda that you want to – To talk about how how do you kind of see that unfolding? If you see anything at all at this point,
2: Um, I think it's going to be a very game centered kind of show. Um, I do know that there's limited commercial breaks, so during the commercial breaks on the broadcast, there's going to be some opportunity for discussion uh, and. I I guess that could be about the game. It could be about, you know, being at a Notre Dame student or a Notre Dame student-athlete. But I think it kind of just depends how the game's going. If it's a really close game, I could see that being just completely game-oriented discussion.
1: Are you going to be able to fit any memes into this this broadcast?
2: Uh, I'm definitely going to try, so... (laughs) Watch out for that. (laughs) And can you get
1: the smoking pig to cater for you?
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I wish. I wish they delivered to South Bend, but I don't think they do.
1: All right, Jessica, I think that's all we have for you. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show uh, this weekend. Good luck uh, with the broadcast on Saturday.
2: Thank you so much.
1: You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby's.
2: True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher.
1: Now it's time for Place Your Bets.
2: How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains?
1: This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's take a shot at some predictions for the Boston College game. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 225 rushing yards for Boston College.
0: Well, it's what they do. Um, you know, they're fifth in the country in rushing offense and ninety-sixth in the passing offense. So they're going to put those two big boys in motion, uh, 250 and 240 pounds with A.J. Dillon leading the way, and I'd say they get it. I, I think Notre Dame is definitely going to uh, tilt its defense and take its chances on the pass, and I don't think they'll have a very, BC will have a very good passing day, but I'll go with the over.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. Notre Dame held Navy 76 yards under its average, so if they were to do that against Boston College, that would put them under 225 yards. But I I just don't think the game's going to necessarily unfold the same way where Notre Dame, Navy was st- stuck in a bad spot with, with such a big deficit early on with the turnovers and Notre Dame scoring um, at will on offense. I think Notre Dame's going to have plenty of success on offense and be able to build a lead, but I don't think it's going to be as as instantaneous as it felt like against Navy. So I will go over. I think um, it's not going to be easy stopping the guys that you mentioned, A.J. Dillon and David Bailey. Um, who both have Notre Dame connections, A.J. Dillon, whose grandfather, Tom Gatewood, went to Notre Dame, certainly, and um, David Bailey is actually a high school teammate with Jamion Franklin, so both those guys are are a bit familiar with, with some of the people over here at Notre Dame. Next one I have for us is over under one-and-a-half touchdowns for Chase Claypool.
0: I'm going to go over BC's pass defense is in the bottom ten in terms of pass efficiency. And I again, I don't BC in the past they get interceptions, uh, but in the past they've had some pros in their defensive backfield. Right. I don't think they have
1: those now. Even on the defensive line too, to yeah. get pressure on book. So
0: yeah, so I would say book is going to go to his comfort zone and and hit Chase Claypool for at least two touchdowns.
1: I'm going to go under for mostly just to be a contrarian. I, I think it's pro, it seems pretty li- it seems pretty likely that it could happen. But maybe Ian Book will spread the ball around a little bit more and get some other guys involved. Cole Komet getting the, get the end zone maybe once or twice, and um, some of the other guys, Chris Fink, get a touchdown, spread it out a little bit more than he did against Navy, so I will go under. Next one is over under a 140 rushing yards for Notre Dame.
0: You know, it's not T-ball where everybody gets a, <laughs> and at that bat and gets a snack, but... It is when you're feeling
1: good like okay. Ian Book is right now.
0: Okay, <laughs> 140 yards based on... Again, BC's defense, I'm going to say Notre Dame gets that. They have not been very good against teams that are even kind of moderately good against the run. Boston College is not that kind of team. They're 91st against the run. So I think Notre Dame gets there.
1: Yeah, I'd like to think that they'll get there, but I'm going to go with under. I just, Notre Dame's running game is at a situation where it's it's just a prove it situation for me where um, it's hard to have a lot of faith in what they're Going to do? I certainly the the running game was did well against Duke, but it was mostly Ian Book doing a lot of that, and I I don't know that they're going to rely on him um, in in a similar way to to uh, carry the running game against Boston College. So they um, did
0: last time they played BC. Do you remember that? Yeah, Brandon Wimbush, Wimbush ran all over them. Yeah, yeah I, I was, was there. Five hundred and fifteen <laughs> yards.
1: So prison. so so I will go under, um, and uh, we'll 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 see if uh, Notre Dame's uh, offensive line and rushing attack can make me seem silly. Next one is over-under one-and-a-half turnovers for Notre Dame's
0: defense. BC does not turn the ball over very much, so I'm going to go under.
1: Yeah, that had me leaning that way. Notre Dame has gotten back into its turnover-forcing ways. Um, I just think with it being a a good atmosphere for Notre Dame, and I don't know that Boston College has played a lot of games like this one and a team like Notre Dame's defense, so um, I think that Notre Dame has a chance to make Boston College turn the ball over more than it normally does, so I will take the over. Next one I have is more tackles. The linebacker trio of Drew White, Asmar Bilal, and Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, or the other eight defensive starters combined. I mean, it's going to be
0: the game plan kind of funnels it into those guys getting those kind of tackles, but... I'm going to be a contrarian and say the other eight.
1: <laughs> I'm really proud of this one. I was looking at the box score for the Navy, and I was like, hmm. And Notre Dame's linebackers, starting linebackers, had 18 tackles, and the others had 16 tackles, so they, they won that. So I'm going to go with linebackers again. I think facing a rushing attack, that those guys are going to be very active um, and come up with a lot of tackles, and um, I think that – what One thing they do have going for them is those guys aren't rotated out very much at all, no. um, whereas the defensive linemen will get rotated out and even a, one of the safeties gets in and out of the field, and sometimes the cornerbacks get rotated too. So I think Alohi's going to have a bunch of tackles. So I will go with the linebackers having more tackles than the other eight defensive starters. And then last one, final score prediction for Notre Dame-Boston College. I'll
0: say Notre dame 42, and Boston
1: College, 21. Oh, you were close. I thought you were reading, my, reading off my paper. But I had final score, Notre Dame, 42, Boston College, 17. Um, so we're, we're in, in uh, close regards there. All right, now it's time for questions.
2: Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go.
1: You can submit questions to us on Twitter each week. I'm at tjamesndi, and Eric is at e. NDI. We actually received so many questions this week, Eric, that I figured we'd just uh, try to get as many as them in and skip our other segments, and there weren't a ton of guys that stood out in terms of maybe being junior or juniors or punctuation marks of the week. So let's get into the questions. First one is from baba ganoush at plact underscore itfdb. Notre Dame fans love and respect Navy, but I just don't see any advantage in playing them. Yes, I know the history. Notre Dame do- not dominated a ranked, uh, ranked Navy thought to be their best team in decades, yet it does nothing to Notre Dame's resume. Why not get a more respected name team to replace them? The benefits are greater than the risks, he says.
0: Well, I, I don't know that Notre Dame didn't move up much in the poll based on Navy uh, I do think there's some name branding there that that maybe some of the voters don't respect Navy as much. But a lot of it had to do with everything around Notre Dame, what's going on in college football. Teams that lost seemed to lose close games to teams ranked just a little bit ahead of them. So there's a lot of other things going on. I, I think the biggest argument against playing Navy is... The um, injuries that Notre Dame has had, lower leg injuries, it Mm -hmm. seems like there's less. I'm writing about this this Mm -hmm. week. There seems like there's less since Notre Dame got that swag team together and they practice um, option year-round. So they're more used to the uh, cut blocks, and they seem to be able to deal with them better. But we just had two two lower leg injuries in the – this Navy game, Shane Simon out for the year with a knee injury, and then Jason Alola with an ankle injury. I can see arguments for both sides, but I'd say keep them on the schedule.
1: Yeah, to, to me, I mean, when you're ta- comparing Notre Dame's schedule to the top programs that they're going to be compared to, because ultimately this is a college football playoff conversation, what we're getting at is – um, those teams are playing FCS schools, so I don't know that Navy's going to be worse than any of those FCS schools that play playing. Certainly, this year Notre Dame had Bowling Green and New Mexico on their roster, so those are basically their FCS schools. Um, and Navy was better than those teams. But when you look at Notre Dame's schedule, even like mo- moving forward, um, they're not re- going to be relying on Navy to be a tent pole victory. It seems like the way the schedule is breaking this year, it almost feels like it it needed to be with there not being a lot of um, big teams, and obviously, when you lose the two games, that would be your best wins. Um, that 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 hurts your resume. Um, but moving forward, their big wins are going to be against, or opportunities for big wins are against Wisconsin, Ohio State, Clemson, Texas A&M, and certainly Clemson is part of the ACC contract. Um, and so, I think probably every year you're thinking maybe one or two ACC teams are going to be good good quality wins on your schedule at, at the very least. Um, you're going to have Stanford and USC, and certainly. More recently, those have been rel- reliable. And obviously, this year and and USC in a few years past haven't necessarily been impressive games. Um, and so, I, right there, when you just talk about those groups of schools, I think you're talking about four or five different games that you think are going to be potential good wins on your on your schedule. Um, and then Navy, if Navy's a good team, they're your fifth or sixth best win. So I don't know that that's necessarily going to hurt them. I'd be curious. Let's say, let's go through this year, or, or maybe next year. Notre Dame wins, beats Wisconsin, beats Clemson. Their only loss is the first game of the year against Navy. Do you think that prevents them from getting in the college football playoff?
0: No, I don't. And I like the game being first. Right,
1: yeah, uh, And then helps.
0: there being a buy because then you can just ditch the triple option the rest of the year. I'm also writing about this week the post-triple option hangover and what Notre Dame's success or non-success rate has been in the games that immediately follow either – Navy, Air Force, Army, Georgia Tech when they were running the option. So um, it's interesting because that is
1: very real, the Navy hangover. All right. Next question is from JM at ND Jeff 6 Back to a previous question that he had asked. Um, I'm glad to see Ian Book looking for Chase Claypool more often. Is this Book's own doing, or do you think the coaches are finally able to get Claypool in a position to be open as they have struggled to help create space for their number one receiver in recent years?
0: I always get hung up on a clause there, and that one <laughs> yeah. kind of bugs me. But yeah. I, I'm going to overlook it and just answer the question and say <laughs> I think it's probably a combination of a couple things. Claypool being a really good matchup, him surging in November, and Book looking for him more. So I think the coaches deserve some credit, and Book deserves some credit. But I think Claypool deserves some credit for just saying, you know what, get out of my way. I'm going to catch this.
1: Yeah, I don't have a great sense on if Chase Claypool is running open more than he was in the past. I um so I I don't know that Notre Dame is necessarily scheming it up differently. I, I, my sense is that they're not necessarily certainly like if you take this past week for example, the Navy, they're the touchdown for 47 yards. They had a Navy had a linebacker matched up on them. Now, I think Notre Dame did some smart things where they motioned a running back out wide. Um, and then so a cornerback got stuck on the running back, and then so that that was why the linebacker got stuck on Chase Claypool. Um, and so and Ian recognized that. But that's just – I don't know if that's good scheming or if that's just bad defense. Why would you let the, – the, clearly the best receiver be matched up with a linebacker. Um, so it, it's tough for me to say. I, I, I think Ian Book is just seeing the fact that he recognized that, and he recognized that right away. Certainly that seems like a pretty easy decision. Um, but if, his, if it, the way the play is drawn up requires him to be looking elsewhere first, um, that sometimes that can be missed. So um, I think it's a it's a combination of things. I don't necessarily think that um, they're telling Ian, hey, just force the ball into Chase. I think Ian knows that Chase is going to um, do, do good things for him. And I think after going through some bad times, he's like, okay, I'm just going to lean on the guys that I know are going to get the job done for me. And so I think that probably has something to do with it. Um, but I, I I think it ha- it comes down to mostly just Ian Book seeing everything better and, and recognizing the opportunities better than he had maybe in, in previous games. Next question is from Notre Dame grad Scott at double underscore domers underscore Scott. Has there been any indication that there have been changes to the offensive play calling the last two weeks?
0: Well, certainly in the Duke game there were planned quarterback runs and we really hadn't seen yep. much of that since... Brandon Wimbush days. Um you know, and I and I think Notre Dame is trying to capitalize on what they think are weaknesses on the other team. I said before the Navy game that Navy didn't have even though they had a really good pass efficiency defense, I said they don't have anybody that can match up with Claypool. So I would have been shocked had Notre Dame not I actually thought Komet was going to get into that act too. Right, right. Um but um you know Brian Kelly went through some I call it a word salad about uh, Ian Book and how he's processing things. And Tyler wrote about it a little bit. And thank God you did because I was <laughs> confused a little bit. It made bit. sense to me. Okay. It, it kind of did. And, and, did it make sense after I wrote it? Did it make more sense? It made more sense how you wrote <laughs> okay. it than when I heard it with my ear. I mean, I, I, I was trying to kind of process it. But it seems like, again, I don't think it's so much – different play calling as they're just looking at an opposing defense and saying how are we going to attack this right you know i don't think they go to go into every game and say we're calling the same plays every day i think I think throughout the year there's been an evolution. So
1: right, yeah. I think from a game to game basis, they're going to change the play calling a little bit based on what they feel the defensive weaknesses are. And yeah, against Duke, the quarterback running game was was heavily leaned on, and that was partially because they felt that Duke was going to run a lot of man defense, and that would put them in situations where they weren't nec- guys beyond the line of scrimmage weren't necessarily going to have eyes on Ian Book at all times, and so that opened up some of those opportunities. Um, I haven't noticed a ton of play calling changes. It seems. To me, and there's one thing I, I sort of questioned or critiqued after the Virginia Tech game was some of the RPO screens and different things they were trying to do off of that that just weren't working at all and were, were turning into bad plays more than often than even uh, zero-yard gains. So um, I think that um, it seems like they're not relying on that as much, but those aren't necessarily play-call decisions because I think they're still running the similar RPO concepts. It's just up to Ian Book to recognize okay, should I give it to the running back? Should I run with it? Should I throw it to the receiver on the opposite side of the field, which is usually Chase Claypool, rather than throwing it into the to the screen set? Um, so those are, I think a lot of those are necessarily decisions and not necessarily changes in the play calling. Certainly they can go into the game with saying, okay, this is probably going to be open more often based on how this defense is going to run. But um, the play calling doesn't seem that drastically different. And I think it also... Notre Dame did, maybe did a better job these past two weeks of identifying what those weaknesses were in the defenses and, and they were able to have success by exposing those weaknesses, and maybe maybe that's where the biggest difference is. Next question is from Tom Schuster at TGS Domer 2. What is the biggest mashup, matchup issue from Boston College and or Stanford in these next two weeks?
0: I, I don't think Stanford is nearly as scary of a – matchup although somehow I think of Stanford and Boston College play to be a pretty good game (laughs) I, I what we haven't seen from anybody with maybe the exception of Michigan but they weren't that good at it going into the Notre Dame game is having a really strong offensive line having big backs that can pound on you two tight end sets I I I'm not sure how Notre Dame is going to react to that. My, my thought is because Boston College doesn't have Anthony Brown playing quarterback anymore right. because he's injured. There's some reprieve there in that you have a quarterback. Is it Gosel, Grosel? The, Grossel, the mm-hmm. um, he's kind of a home run guy. He he completes less than fifty percent of his passes. He's got some really long ones, but you know if he were. Even Anthony Brown, if he were Ian Book, that offense would be scarier. But if you can just focus on those guys, uh, focus on the running game, then you can put Boston College in some difficult situations. You know, And the other thing that hurts Boston College is their defense isn't any good. They're 128th in total defense. If they had Michigan's defense – then I think this game is super scary. Or even Don Brown was coaching them, <laughs> right? Um, uh, like he used to. Stanford, you know, they're kind of average to below average in everything, which is shocking that they're that bad in pass defense when they have Paulson and debo in their defensive backfield. They've had a lot of injuries, so these are on paper matchups. Notre Dame should win. They that the thing that to me is how Notre Dame is going to react to all that power and beef and tonnage coming at them and if they're going to have the Hefton uh, to be able to
1: handle that. Yeah I think the fact that this offense is more one dimensional I think lightens the load on the defense certainly it's not it doesn't mimic in any way really what Notre Dame had to do against Navy but that was more of an offense that you felt like okay this is what they're going to do this is how we're going to stop it um, and it, certainly with the option, it's it's could be one dimensional, but there's obviously different options within it. Well, that's why it's called the option. Um, but I I do think that having a sole focused on the running game at Boston College will allow Notre Dame to win that matchup. Um, but I think that is probably the biggest matchup concern moving forward. I, there's really not much about Stanford that concerns me in terms of the matchups. I I think just the fact that they haven't won out at Stanford in a while, I think is the the one kind of uh, boogeyman that that is, that is related to that game. But um, I think um, these are definitely winnable games in Notre Dame as long as they play play well and don't give these other teams um, extra opportunities with turning the ball over a lot. I think they should be able to twin them pretty handily. Next question is from Nick Nation at Mr. Underscore grooby. After the last two weeks, are your mentions finally cooling off about Phil Dracovic replacing Ian Book? And how big is finishing this season 11-2 with a bowl win regardless of which bullet ends up being?
0: Um, yeah, mine have cooled down about Phil Djokovic, <laughs> Um, And then how big would 11-2 and two be? I mean, it, it's amazing what Brian Kelly has been able to put together uh, after the 2016 season, uh, putting together three double-digit wins in a row if they get there. Um, and I think it keeps you in the mindset and keeps recruits in the mindset that Notre Dame is a program that could play in the playoff. And I think that little bit helps in recruiting, even though kids are more big picture that pick Notre Dame. Um, So I think it's a wonderful accomplishment and possibly a stepping stone to something better in 2020.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's good to – you could point to this and say, hey, we didn't meet our standards and we still went 11-2. and two. Um, And so it feels like the bar has been raised um, in terms of the expectations here at Notre Dame since that 2016 season. Um, and so I think you can point to this as a, a continuation of of that. And certainly um, I think there's going to be plenty of motivation going into the off season with those two losses that Notre Dame did have. Certainly winning in the bowl game will help uh, bring some momentum into the off season. Um, and I think there will be so many returning pieces on next year's team that to carry this momentum into, through this end of this regular season and into the bowl, bowl game um, will be important. Um, as for the Dracovic thing, um, I've been asked less about Phil replacing Ian Book, but it seems like now it's uh, why don't they let Phil run the full offense when when he gets in the game late. Uh, it seems like that comes up a lot. And one thing I wanted to mention that I haven't been – getting in my mentions uh, much lately either it's been a few weeks since people um have been de- we're demanding for chris fink to be replaced in the starting lineup that hasn't been a-, a topic of conversation either all right next question is from josh melton at joshua melton as a fellow DePaul alum it was a mighty satisfying saturday that uh, is right josh we just won the monon bell over wabash for anyone who is uninformed any chance this dominating performance versus navy helps notre dame land a new year's six bowl bid or should we get used to the idea of the Camping World Bowl? You're the bowl guru, so yeah, I'm definitely deferring to you. I wrote
0: about this earlier in the week. It's going to be really difficult for Notre Dame to get into a New York Six Bowl. And ironically, there's a path that they could play Navy in the New Year Six. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. If, <laughs> if Navy won out and Memphis lost, Navy could very well be the group of five champion representative
1: and then they wouldn't have a choice in that because i know in bowl games they try to avoid repeat matches but because they're the highest ranked, their their navies automatically would be slotted in there right navy is yeah navy would be
0: slotted in there and then even if you said okay let's flip-flop whoever's in the orange bowl playing the acc team with the cotton bowl you would probably be playing virginia, or virginia <laughs> <Tech> <laughs> right over right there so there's so be unavoidable
1: match Obviously, these are this is there's not a very yeah. high percentage of this happening. Right, but it's kind of funny.
0: Right, Notre Dame really realistically has to get into the top ten. They're going to be there's twelve New Year Six Bulls. I'll do this really quick. There's twelve spots in the New Year Six. Two of them will probably be from teams not in the top twelve. Uh, whoever the Group of Five team is, and then whoever the ACC champion is. Right. that's not Clemson. Yeah,
1: assuming it yeah. Yeah,
0: ACC rep in the Orange Bowl. So, then you would say Notre Dame needs to be in the top 10, and it just looks like that's going to be really difficult to get to, um, and maybe even higher than number 10. So, uh, yeah, get used to the thought of the Camping <laughs> World Bowl. And actually, you know, the opponent may be more challenging. The Camping World Bowl will be the third Big 12 team, and that's assuming the Big 12 doesn't get in the playoffs, so that right. Oklahoma would play in the Sugar. Uh, Baylor would play in the uh Alamo Bowl and then Texas, Kansas State, Iowa State, that group is what you're looking at in the Camping World Bowl. But it is in Orlando.
1: Yeah, the Camping World Bowl isn't a sexy sounding bowl, but I think I'd rather I'd rather see Notre Dame play against an opponent like that than against a group of five team. Uh, I,
0: I think it's a more of a win-win than a group of five team. Right, exactly. Cuz if if you're not playing Navy, you're probably playing Cincinnati, yeah, or Memphis and that's not
1: right. No one's going to care that they yeah. beat those teams. And if right. they lose, it's like, oh my gosh, what is Brian Kelly and Notre Dame's program doing? All right. All right. Next up is from Christian Bogan at C underscore Bogan, 1989. He had a similar question. I keep hearing conflicting opinions on whether or not Andy makes a New Year's Six Bowls. In what instances could they get a New Year's Six Bowl? I was going to add so if Clemson doesn't make the playoff, does that change anything realistically for Notre Dame?
0: If Clemson doesn't make the playoff, they would go to the Orange Bowl so it doesn't change Notre Dame's path.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. I think we've covered everything else, though. I don't know if there's other instances that we, we haven't discussed yeah, yet. Yeah, don't,
0: don't um, read the conflicting reports. Just come to ndinsider.com. <laughs> that's that's we'll right. You your there you go. Stuff.
1: All right. Next one is from DOC at DO Carroll one Do you know which coach Notre Dame submitted to the Broyles Award Committee? I can't understand how Clark— Lee isn't on the list. It makes me think his name wasn't submitted. Maybe it was Mike Elston instead.
0: Well, I think Mike Elston does a good job. I don't know who was submitted. No, me neither. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't researched it. And, you know, I mean, I think Clark Lee, Lee's done an amazing job, but when you look at you know, Notre Dame being 79th in the country in rush defense and 29th in total defense, one of those numbers is pretty decent. One of them is... Ugh, and and that's not going to get you the award. I mean, right. So unless there's been an incredible turnaround, unless you were the one thirtieth run defense last year, Clark Lee's done a great job, uh, and he'll be nominated another year and probably win it. But this just isn't the year.
1: Yeah, and like I. A- I I haven't looked into it because I don't I don't think Clark Lee was going to win it if he made that list anyway. So it's not well, I, I don't get too concerned about who gets nominated for awards and stuff like that. Yeah, um, but I mean, there's some great assistant.
0: I mean LSU's offensive coordinator. How right, does he not
1: win that? Right. Yeah. So I I mean it certainly was a little bit eyebrow raising when the list came out and there wasn't a Notre Dame representative yeah. on that list. Um, but that was about all I did. I, my, I raised my eyebrow and then then went on with it. I, I don't. Um, I would be surprised if Clark Lee wasn't the guy that Notre Dame nominated that would be a bit surprising to me um but I also think people that aren't following Notre Dame like we are don't know the context of what Clark Lee has been able to do with yeah. do with this defense and the pieces that he had returning with his defense so um I, and a lot of people saw the Michigan game and that they're not some of that is going to fall on Clark Lee even though it doesn't necessarily it, I wouldn't necessarily blame Clark Lee for that for that loss and the the way that game turned out All right next question is from Derek Gerber at Gerb's Irish 02 it's looking like Notre Dame should be double-digit favorites for the remainder of the season, so let's jump ahead. Let's assume with a returning Ian Book, Dalen Hayes, he said Alohi Gilman, but that's not hap- I, that, I don't expect that to happen, so I'm going to skip over Alohi da- Gilman, Tony Jones Jr. and Cole Komet along with the starting offensive line, along with the underground starters. Is it realistic to expect a preseason top 10 type of hype for the 2020 season?
0: Yes, I think it would be expected very much so.
1: Yeah, I think— Pretty similar to what th- this preseason was like. I, 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 obviously, they're not coming off of going to the Nash- or the college football playoff, but um, I, I think back end of the top ten is probably where Notre Dame ends up in the first preseason AP poll. I know you're an AP voter. I, right. I, I would imagine that's probably what you would think it's was yeah. as well. I
0: mean, where is the where is the big glaring question marks right. in that group? Now, the question mark will be. Can Notre Dame raise their game against Wisconsin and Clemson? But right. it wasn't an obvious thing like the linebacker group this year right. and maybe interior defensive line is a big question mark. And running backs, too. Those all have better answers next year.
1: All right, next one, speaking of looking forward As to next
0: cornerbacks year. would be the big
1: one. Yeah, looking forward to next year. Chris Scheiber at Scheib 43 asks, can you stop me from being incredibly excited about the defense next year? I feel like they will have a game-changer at every level with Dalen Hayes, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, and Kyle Hamilton. Side note, I can't remember the last time I've seen a freshman in the Notre Dame secondary make so many plays and so few mistakes. And he had a PS. I was wrong about Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa and complained about him to you on the podcast. He looked terrible to me in the first two weeks, but that switch flipped, and the head now looks matched to the physical ability for Jeremiah. So... One, thank you, Chris, for the mea culpa. Um, Two, is there a reason to, uh, I guess, temper down his excitement for the defense next season?
0: I don't think so. I mean, the the build is going to be with the cornerbacks, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting if Notre Dame combs the grad transfer market because if they do... I feel a lot better about the cornerbacks. You're going to be really strong, I think at every and deep at just about every other position. Uh, but the cornerbacks right now, the starters next year would be Tariq Bracy and you know fill in the blank it, right um, Cam Hart. Um, you know, so that's why I think the grad transfer market makes sense for them to get somebody that's a starter. Um, that's experienced uh, without a big injury history, if they can find that, and then look out if they can find that piece.
1: Right, and yeah, I think the other smaller question marks to me, um, can out of Adetokounmpo Ogandaji and Dalen Hayes be impact players as full-time starters at, at defensive end? I think we think they can. Dalen, this is another shoulder injury, and it was something he dealt with with high school, so certainly his health would be a bit of a concern, and certainly... They don't ask their defensive ends to do a lot because they have a, a rotation there, so it takes some of the the workload off of those starters. So um, you need those guys to to step up, and we like what Notre Dame has in terms of its depth at defensive end. So I, I'm not as concerned about that, but I think it is they still have to go out and prove that. Um, and then the other safety next to Kyle Hamilton, we think Houston Griffith and or Isaiah Pryor would be quality answers to that. But you got to see it. So I think those are the those are the two things and. Certainly Buck linebacker will be a, a, a question they have to answer, but I think they have candidates there as well. So, And after what Clark Lee has been able to do with the linebackers this year, it's like whatever Clark's got got in mind, uh, I, I, I will certainly defer to him on that. So um, I, I think there is reason to be excited, and um, and some of those guys that, that he mentioned are, are a good reason why. Next one is from Rick Dyerolf at Rick Dyerolf. It's really hard to get excited about the rest of the season post-Michigan for me. Coupled with all the recent losses in big games, it seems nothing can be done to prove progress till next year. Is there any chance Ian Book leaves with this recent success against bad teams?
0: Boy, that was a left turn. On that <laughs> yeah, question. I know, yeah. So we're not grading whether there's something left here. It's we're just is there any chance? Yeah. Ian well, Book that
1: was leaves? the only question he asked. The only thing okay. with a question mark was that. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I think there's a chance he leaves. I don't expect that, uh, but there have been big left turns where it comes to quarterbacks and sticking around at Notre Dame before. And I think Golson is probably the the big example there. He goes through spring practice, it looks like he wins the job and then he bolts. So it, you know, my
1: expectation is that Ian Book is back, but I'm not I'm not putting anything in ink. Yeah, I would be surprised if he left for the NFL. Um his recent success. Well, I meant for a grad transfer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I,
0: think he's leaving for the NFL. Yeah,
1: I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. To me, that that was the, the grad transfer thing was the thing that I thought would be could be a reason why he would leave. Maybe more likely based on how the season was going four weeks ago. Yeah. Um. But now since he's having success, it, it seems like that would decrease the chances of anything like that happening. And then I, I just don't think that the NFL makes much sense um, for him either. So. At this point, I would be more surprised than not if Ian Book uh, weren't Notre Dame's starting quarterback for next season. And having a, having these games at the end of the season be successful for him, I think, make the off season less stressful. Even though there may be talk of, of quarterback competition and giving Phil more of a chance this this off season, but I don't think Ian Book's going to necessarily feel that pressure and, and feel too concerned about that with if he continues to have success to end this season. Next one is from another one from at DOC at Doc Carroll. One, how many fifth-year seniors will Notre Dame have room for next year? They're
0: going to have to make room for some of them because they have some really good ones. You know, whenever I do the math of of expiring eligibility and guys that are already signed for next year, it never comes close. I think there's only 11 uh guys with expiring eligibility so then you start to try to pick off the fifth year seniors and it's it's not easy because you know Adeoka and Deji has to come
1: back yeah a lot of them I think are coming yeah.
0: back Tony Jones Jr. I would I would think would come back Ian Book, Ian Book you know um,
1: Eikenberg Kramer yeah the two offensive linemen and Dalen Hayes who has already said he's coming back correct uh, so Javon McKinley we would, we would think he's coming back based on a season. I think it's
0: going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I
1: think there's a decision there that probably right. has to be made based on... You know, on,
0: John Shannon technically has a fifth year. Right. Uh, I've heard rumors that maybe he wouldn't come back, that he right. just wants to get on with
1: his Yeah, it's, I think the Notre, the long snapper committed to Notre Dame has, has indicated that he yeah. believes that John wouldn't be back and he would be able to start as a freshman. Right. Um, so. But there's not, there's not that many. So
0: you're going to have some traditional transfers that they're counting on attrition in other areas and that's just the way it's been the last few years and they get way over 85 scholarships you know which they can do until the first day of classes in the fall and then we'll be doing the countdown which and they never take, even made it to 85
1: this year yeah. they're at 83 right now with michael when michael young left left so right um based but, on my rough math if they if they got seven guys to come back but he
0: his scholarship still counts um even though he's leaving because right, but, the school has started they couldn't they right, couldn't give no, that scholarship right, yeah, to walk but on. in
1: the next in the next class yeah, they, can, yeah. they can they can they don't have to account right. for him right. um so yeah i guess you're right yeah he, it is technically still on there but when you're moving forward you don't move him um, because he's right. we we knocked him off for even our scholarship chart that you can find on ndinsider.com so my guess um would be the seven guys that i mentioned book jones javon mckinley Eichenberg, kramer ogendagi and Dalen hayes coming back and then based off of that the rough map my rough math i think would means that they technically would have 14 spots for the recruiting class given not counting anyone else transferring or leaving um and they currently have 17 commits so you can always count on a few transfers and or medical uh, retirements so um i think they're in a pretty good spot i it seems like Notre Dame's recruiting class isn't going to get much bigger, so that makes this a little bit easier and gives them a little bit more flexibility with these fifth-year seniors. Um, so they have a plan for it. We'll see how how it turns out. There's always a couple things here or there that seem to happen that you don't necessarily know are going to happen, but you leave the possibility open for, for them to happen. Next question is from at Soli 226 If Doug Flutie started at quarterback for Boston College in this game, do the Eagles score any points, and if so, how many?
0: Started at his age, right now. Yes,
1: current Doug Flutie, I believe. That's how I read it. And and the question is, would they score would they, any points? Would they score any points? And if so, how many?
0: I think they. I think AJ Dillon still gets in the end zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he still can hand off, he? <laughs> right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So yeah, I I think Boston College scores.
1: Yeah. So I I said ten then because I pre- predicted seventeen in my original yeah. prediction. So I took a touchdown off the board with Doug Flutie at quarterback. If okay. you think that's fair, so. Um, given that I think he could probably still hand it off and that's what the current quarterback will be asked to do a lot of yeah. um, I, I think that it, it wouldn't necessarily impact the game too much alright next question uh, although um, I imagine if Doug Flutie were in the game and started the first time he got hit would probably be <laughs> the last play he was in he probably wouldn't be able to to, to handle the beating that would, that would potentially the come his way the good thing
0: for Doug is Boston College is number two
1: in the country in sacks allowed <laughs> there you go He's he can have faith in his offensive line All right. Next question is from Dave Simono at DSimono66. What was the most unbelievable Notre Dame story you covered other than Manti Teo while working at Lafayette and Colfax? And for those who don't know, Lafayette and Colfax is the intersection of the old South Bend Tribune building, which we are currently moving out of this week. We're actually recording the podcast from the old building today. um, And we believe this is the last act of journalism that will happen in this building um, as a member of the South Bend Tribune. So, we got a couple questions related to that here. So, what, what's the most unbelievable story that you covered in your time here at at at, at the South Bend Tribune? Besides Mantiteo, obviously, I think Mantiteo probably takes the cake when it well, comes to that. This one
0: may take the cake. Oh, okay. The George O'Leary hiring. Oh, firing. yeah. I I mean, I I was the editor of our Irish sports report publication at the time. And it is the first time that I've ever said, stop the presses. It was on the press running (laughs) when George O'Leary was fired. Uh, And so we had to redo the Irish Sports Report in 48 hours with new stories. And uh, it was was absolutely crazy. I mean, that a coach could be fired within a week of being hired and for pretending that he played football at New Hampshire (laughs) – I mean, if you're going to lie, why don't you say you played football somewhere else other than New Hampshire? That seems,
1: you know, say that you went to DePau and won the Monon. Bell. Hey, hey, I would, I would have been all over that story if that was the case. Um, yeah, what, when that happened, what, what, what's your react? Like, you, you, I'm sure you go, "Are you serious?" Like that had to be re- your reaction, right? Yeah, you my can't believe sports that.
0: Sports woke me up, called me at home, and you know he's not a kidding around kind of guy, <laughs> so. Uh, I, I just was in disbelief. I, I just couldn't get past it. And I kind of had heard rumblings about the New Hampshire thing. Uh, the A guy that kind of broke the story called me, and he mm-hmm. said, you know, in his bio in the uh, Georgia Tech, it mentioned something about New Hampshire, and yeah. he, he wasn't quite sure about that. And I know just from being around sports information departments, they get that stuff wrong all the time, and then they just kind of perpetuate it. Sure. So I wasn't, you know, it, that he was lying about it didn't register to me. Yeah. I, I remember there was a guy named Michael Taylor that uh, uh, broke his collarbone for Michigan, and in their media guide, this was a guy that started quarterback. They had missed so many games last year with a broken hand. Yeah, because he was holding onto his broken collarbone. I mean, it it was pretty, but I mean, that was that was so bizarre, and then you end up with Tyrone Willingham, and you kind of wonder what George O'Leary would have been like. So I think, for me,
1: that was that takes the cake. Yeah, for me, it is Devontae Neal. Uh, his recruitment, um, the fact that he would skip his ceremony to announce his decision, which was already after signing day, um, there were rumors that there was like a family emergency the night before, and None of it ever seemed very believable. Um, I ended up doing a feature on Devonte Neal. He had a, a unique relationship with his father, uh, Luke. Um, it, he he Luke has described himself as a deadbeat dad. He wasn't involved in in Devante's life early on, and then um, he eventually um, rebuilt a relationship. and, and Devonte moved out to Arizona to live with him. Um, and wh- one of the weirder things about that story is, I so when I did the story on them, I interviewed both of them and. I interviewed Luke first, and then he handed. He said, "Okay, I'll hand you the phone. I'll hand the phone to Devante." So I was interviewing Devante, and when I when they first started talking, I could have swore it was the same person talking. They sounded so much alike, and so I'm like, "Wait!" So I'm like trying to think of questions that I could ask him that only Devante would know. It was so weird. I, I was so skeptical of everything that was going on that I was questioning whether or not I was actually talking to Devante Neal or Luke Neal, his father. So that was just. Uh, a very rare case of, of something happening that um I would never have anticipated having to consider or, or go through and um certainly there's been weird recruitments um that I've covered that I covered over the years but that was the weirdest in terms of just everything that was going on and how it sort of all unfolded certainly um Demetrius Robertson is is up there, and Eddie Vanderdose is is another one that was that was bizarre. But um, Devonte Neal, in my mind, takes the case, and that was early early on in my recruiting coverage career. So I was I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and that was a quite the quite the quite the welcome. Next question I have from Irish fan one zero two: Will the taco bar be welcomed in the new office?
0: I would say in the permanent office, not in the temporary office. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not excited about the temporary office where we're kind of on top of each other. I think we are tacos.
1: Yeah, we're in a temporary location before we end up moving into the, the Studebaker building. And so um, we probably won't be having a taco bar at our temporary location. But um, I think we, we probably should do one pretty soon after we move into the new one. Maybe that's the way we kind of christen yeah. our, our new buildings with, that a, would be good. with a taco bar. All right, another movement re- moving related question from Pat Holston at ND Patman. Upon cleaning out this South Bend Tribune office- offices, what is your A favorite piece of memorabilia and nostalgia, B most ironic now looking back at it piece of memorabilia and nostalgia, and C the piece of memorabilia and nostalgia that you could not believe you had and you could not wait to get rid of. So first one, what's your favorite piece of memorabilia and nostalgia that you that you dug up uh, this week when we were packing things up?
0: Probably the two thousand the the Bob Davie transcripts from two thousand. <laughs> I didn't even know I had those, and I thought, and they're pretty thick. So I I think at some I kept them. Yep. So I I I am gonna go through them and uh, enjoy those. I think
1: um, my favorite. It's it was tough because my favorite ones I have on my desk already, so I, I didn't need to rediscover these. Yeah. Um, and it's a mini bowl helmet signed by Al Lessar. Um, he gifted it to me when he left the Tribune. He had knickknacks on his desk and i said well if you're giving this to me al I, i'm gonna need your signature on it and i think it's the orange bowl. it's a silver helmet it's either the orange bowl or the citrus bowl, and i thought i looked into it and i don't even think notre dame played in that game so i'm not even sure why he necessarily had the helmet so it's a completely random piece of uh, of nostalgia but i i keep it on my desk and uh i owe a lot to al he was part of the reason i ended up getting an, an internship with the tribune in the first place we actually met at a monon bell game um and so uh I I appreciated that form and that always sits on my desk. What is your most ironic piece of memorabilia or nostalgia? The Dump Davey bumper sticker I found. <laughs> and you kept that, right? I did keep it. <laughs> Mine is the, the Ray Rice Rutgers notebook that I, that I have, and I don't know how I necessarily even came up into possession of that because I wasn't working here when Ray Rice was still in college. Um, but somehow I had that, and certainly um, his – uh, off the field issues and, and domestic violence uh made him less of a, a person to be celebrated and it's it's kind of ironic that um, I still have that around so I haven't haven't uh been able to throw that away it's just uh too kind of weird that it, that it exists so I, I haven't been able to th- trash it now what's the what's the piece that you you came across that you, you couldn't wait to get rid of
0: I don't know that something falls in that category for me. I was really rushed with going through stuff, so I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> you didn't even getting, necessarily go through
1: it again. <laughs> yeah, I
0: would say a stapler because <laughs> I just don't use a stapler anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. I don't have a stapler. I always use Gail's. Gail uh, works in our department, and I always uh, rely on her for staples. And uh, She has tape, paper clips, usually whatever you need she has, and scissors, I think. <laughs> I think we discussed if we should all bring a pair of scissors over to the new office. Um a lot of the things I trashed were or a lot of old programs. For some reason, I thought it would be cool to collect those after games. I would always just – because they give them to us at the games, and I would just throw them in my bag after the game. And they were just sitting in a drawer. I didn't even realize I had that many. I, I thought I had actually gotten rid of them at some point. And so I had them. I, I actually did go through and keep some of, like – the cool venues that I went to, like the Oklahoma game in 2012, the mm-hmm. Clemson game, I, I kept some of those because I thought those were kind of cool and because I, I have tons of Notre Dame ones. And so I got rid of most of those and kept a couple that I thought were, looked cool but but ditched some of the rest. And I actually got a message because I was tweeting about some of this, and I got a message on Twitter from someone asking if they could have them. I was like, I didn't have anything to do – there were so many of them, I had to just trash them or put them in our recycling because – I didn't have any way to get them to someone else. It would have been cool to have like a garage sale of all our junk, but I don't know if that would have even been worth our time if anyone would have wanted some of that stuff, but you never know with with some of those nostalgic pieces like that. All right, last one we have um, is from Matt McKeon at KND1M, and he asked if I could spend a minute giving a quick explanation of your segment intros, like how much you want to bet, and the Brian Kelly getting cranky before our questions. So I'll run through all the ones we have. I I sort of have put these together in our um, podcast planning. The Place Your Bet one is a sound bite from the Napoleon Dynamite movie, and that's Uncle Rico speaking. Um, The questions thing is Brian Kelly speaking um, at a USC Week press conference, which was actually the press conference – During that press conference, the NCAA sanctions were announced, so he was put in a very difficult situation. And so that was kind of why you can sense a little bit of the frustration in his voice there um, that no one else wanted to to ask about USC. (laughs) Um, Keeping up with the Joneses, obviously, is Mr. Jones, the song by The Counting Crows. Um, Our punctuation mark of the week, we have two different um, intros from that one. He says, "I, I think I just had an apostrophe, but he means an epiphany. That is from the movie Hook. Um, and then the other one is about hyphens, and she says Mrs. Judy Mitchelson-Hicks, sometimes with the hyphen, sometimes without a hyphen. Sometimes she spells the hyphen. That is from the movie Big. Um, our Flavor of the Week, which is a segment we were doing in the off season, um was a guy saying, boom, there's the flavor. That's from the movie Hot Rod. Um, and then our Junior or Junior segment is of, um, from the movie Junior, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that's the voice you hear um, saying Junior a couple times. All right, that's it for this week's podcast of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. The Pot of Gold podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And tire rack, the way tire buying should be. Later this week, Tom Noy and Carter Carls will give you another edition of the Pot of Gold Extra Point. Stick with IndyInsider.com for all your pregame and postgame needs for Notre Dame Boston College.